It's time for Heat Wave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. And it's a wonderful Sunday night here in Las Vegas. Welcome on in. The doors open. It's Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. It's Tim Unglesby and Mateo with you from the Lotus Broadcast Studios. And my partner in crime, Mr. Tom Barton, is taking the night off after a well-deserved football weekend. Tom is off tonight. He'll be back next Saturday of course, as we get you ready for week two of the NFL, but that means we had to go through week one of the NFL, and to help me do that tonight, radio personality, Heatwave Sports cast and crew member for for a very, very long time now, Chris Wynn. Chris, always a pleasure to have you on the show. It's going to be you and I tonight chopping it up. And what a night to do it, right, Tim? Uh, Action across the board, and it's the first time in a long time that in the NFL we got a chance to see spectators in the stands and that was really cool we've seen it obviously for the last couple of weeks with college football but today we got to see it on a grand scale with the national football league and obviously this weekend being so poignant and so memorable because of the anniversary of 9-11 the tributes were spectacular it was really good to see the country come together it really did here in the last couple of days and Obviously, it started out on Thursday night with a matchup with Tampa Bay and Dallas, and it continued today with a lot of action across the board that I'm sure we're going to be diving deep into, Tim. Oh, yeah, buddy. We're going to look at every game in week one. Look ahead to week two. We've got the early lines already. And, of course, we're going to spend a, a decent amount of time on the big one tomorrow night right here from Las Vegas I called it in, in the Twitter post, by the way, over on Twitter, at HW Sports, and Chris, you're over at Christian Wynn, that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-W-I-N-N, Christian Wynn. Hit us up on Twitter, tell us what you what you want to talk about, how you feel about some of the opinions we give out tonight. We're here to on all avenues, social media, if you want to call in, 876-1340 is the Heat Wave hotline. But Chris, on, the, on that there Twitter, I had said... The real first home game for the Las Vegas Raiders will happen tomorrow night at uh, f- 5 o'clock, Monday night football. It's the Raiders and the Ravens, and we're going to dive deep into that. I think it's going to be absolutely bananas tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be pretty much unreal, right? Because, yes, we had a chance, Tim, to cover some games last year, and I was at the stadium and, and got a chance to see football being played in Allegiant Stadium. But it just wasn't the same, Tim. It just wasn't. I mean, it just, the atmosphere, the game day experience, the allegiance that the fans have, no, no pun intended with the stadium, but, you know, it, it, and the Raiders fan base, let's be straight about it. You and I, we're not Raiders fans, but we no. understand what Raider Nation is all about and how, you know, fervent and uh, ferocious that fan base is. And it's going to be on display 100% tomorrow night, and I'm looking forward to it as – you know, look, you've been here in Las Vegas longer than I have, but but I've been here, uh, you know, a short while, you know, a short 18 years. And I honestly, I, I got I got to be straight up with you. I absolutely did not think the NFL and Las Vegas would ever be a marriage made in heaven. 
and uh, it's about to culminate tomorrow when you see a packed stadium on the first Monday night football game of the 2021-22 season here in Vegas as the home team, the Raiders, take on the Raiders. It's going to be pretty cool, and uh, it's going to be one of those history-making days. Make no mistake about it. It's going to be very much like that uh, – not, not exactly like, but it's going to be similar to that Vegas Golden Knights opener, obviously, four or five years ago. Yeah, and I call it the real first professional home game for a, a professional franchise as far as the football side of it goes. We know that. I agree with you that um, – the, I never thought it would happen either, Chris. I, I, there's no way. Yeah. I've told people for years, no way that's happening. And, and now here we are, with it. And, it, I'm, and you know, I had a, had a guy just being difficult to say. Well, the, the true first game we had a preseason. I got that, that doesn't count. None of the stars played, and, and we get it for reals tomorrow night. And um, if any, if it's any indication, Chris, of how week one went so far, uh, Ravens might be in trouble tomorrow, especially without a running back. Yeah, there's a, you know, they're, they're dealing with situations in Baltimore right now from an injury standpoint. Now, it's the NFL, right? So every team deals with injuries. But when you're talking about the first game of the season, you're going into a what's going to be just madness atmosphere that is going to be Vegas on a Monday night football game. You want to have all hands on deck, right, if you're the Ravens, and you want to be able to start the season off on the right foot. So it's, it's uh, just a little bit more difficult for the Ravens having to do that, given the injury situation that they do have. That being said, though, Tim, you look at the Vegas numbers and you look at the line, and it still reflects that the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be underdogs in this football game. Yeah. I originally wanted to start with, with the Rebels, but I think I'm going to change it on the fly here to use the, the hockey terminology, Chris. I'm going to Let's just stay with the, the football game because I think this is a, it's a big subject where, you know, in 24 hours from now we'll, we'll have a – most likely we should have – a uh, a winner in that game, and, and I know Raider fans. I was out there today, Chris, because um, I'm not going as media tomorrow. I'm going as a fan. I actually, the uh, company I work for has has a suite, and I, I've been invited to go watch that game. So I will go as a Ravens fan tomorrow night, Chris. And just today, I had to go down and and um, go through this this screening process to make sure my my Clear app works. Because you got to use this app to get in, in and out of the game. You know, you have to be vaxxed. And there were tons of Raider fans just hanging out, taking pictures. It's it's going to be a just absolutely crazy tomorrow. And let's look at this. Look at Well, let's look at it first from from the standpoint of, you know, we can thank Mark Davis for, for bringing the Raiders here. We can thank Mark Davis for trying to make the uh, keep the WNBA to succeed and, and buying that franchise there and putting money behind it. We can thank Mark Davis for a lot of things. But it all, it all, with that kickoff tomorrow, it's it's the real deal. It's the football season. And you said it, Chris, the Ravens are a four-point favorite in this one, and that's for a reason. You know, I had the Raiders at seven wins. I think that's that's a fair estimate, don't you? Yeah, I think it's absolutely a fair estimate. And, and it look, it's going to be a challenge for, for, for the Ravens. Make no mistake about it. I mean, and, uh, you know, look, I mean, you lose the likes of, you know, Marcus Peters at the quarterback position for – Baltimore you've obviously at the running back position when you lose some and I'm not laughing at them I'm just you know uh in jest I'm thinking you know J.K. Dobbins Gus Edwards Justice Hill all lost for the season within the last two weeks and you know you have to end up scraping together the likes of Latavius Murray Le'Veon Bell and you know and Devontae Freeman 
you know, just within the past few days to prepare. You got second year running back Tyson Williams, a guy that, you know, is going to be looking to make a name for himself. But, you know, the Ravens, you know, everyone thinks Lamar Jackson, he's out there, about, out, out there slinging things around. No. I mean, it's going to be, end up being a run-happy offense. I think running the football is going to be a big key for, for the Ravens. And so, that to me, that's going to be massive for Baltimore to be successful in this football game. Now, getting back to, you know, you talking about the atmosphere and talking about the moment for Vegas, right, and the fans, it's, uh, I mean, to me, it's, it's just it's fascinating just to look at it from the outside looking in as someone who's not a Raider fan and someone who, you know, hasn't regularly covered an NFL team. I've had an opportunity to cover the Tampa Bay Buccaneers down in Orlando, down in Florida, when I was working in Orlando, and and just a little bit with the Patriots when I was in college as a, as an intern. But having a team here, it just it just it's just unreal because you have uh, just a collision of a city that is just in being influxed with sports teams across the board. And and uh, and Tommy and I talked about this a little bit last week out about how Las Vegas is quickly becoming like an epicenter of sports in the country, right? I mean, it's if it's one of the fastest growing cities in the country. You have all kinds of interest from Major League Baseball, whether or not they're going to have a team here. Obviously, you know, with the NFL here already, and now you have the NHL here already, the NBA has always been talked about as far as Las Vegas and being a destination because, I mean, I, let's face it, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, Tim, Las Vegas is a basketball city, I, I, in fact, basketball first. And so all this talk about these leagues coming, the MLS, uh, a real possibility and becoming more of a reality here. And so, I mean, it's to me, I just, I just, uh, again, I'm just fascinated how this is all kind of shaking out and, and, and coming to the, coming to fruition when it comes to, you know, and, and it's going to start out. I mean, it wasn't, this is, this isn't some NFL season opener, Tim, at one o'clock on a Sunday, you know, it's on Monday night football, you know, so it wasn't like it was, uh, I, I the NFL knows what they're doing and right. it's smart and it's really cool to see that Las Vegas is going to be, you know, under the spotlight on Monday Night Football. And also, Tim, a quick note, too. What's happened the last, what, four or five seasons in the NFL? There's been two Monday Night Football games, right? We've been, we've been privy and had a chance to have two Monday Night Football games. Not the case this year, as the Ravens and Raiders are going to take center stage solo, and it's going to be the only game. And so it's, that kind of, I think, adds to the allure as well, too, as we kick off the season. All eyes will be on Las Vegas by ESPN. All eyes will be on Allegiant Stadium. And you have what the NFL feels is one of their more marketable stars in Lamar Jackson, a hybrid-type quarterback who's now entering year four of his run in the NFL. He's gotten progressively better. I know the knock on Lamar, Chris, is that he's not a, a thrower, but percentage-wise he's gotten progressively better from his fresh uh, first year to through his third year. And a situation where, yes, the running attack for the Ravens is the strength. That's a, that's a Harbaugh strength. And his approach was, in, in the interview I just saw this afternoon, was it's next man up, and Williams is that guy. He's the guy that needs to step in. They feel comfortable with him uh, getting the bulk of the plays. But you do have the veteran aspect. I believe, I believe Murray will be active tomorrow from what, I, from what I'm hearing. There, there is the veteran presence there if, if needed to go that way, but it's going to be guys for for Baltimore. Here's the keys. I'll give you the keys for the Ravens first, and, and we can break down the Raiders' side of it as well. And it starts with 
John Harbaugh, right, right, Chris, a, a Super Bowl winning coach, uh, just a great, great run in Baltimore for his for his coaching career. They love him there. He's he's a he's a guy that's the players love, and it's him. It's him developing a game plan on how to expose this Raider defense, which was look, it, it wasn't a good defense last year. Did it get better? We will see this year. But Harbaugh's had time, and I said this last night on the show, Chris. It's not about teams switching time zones in the middle of the season. It's not about uh, not having enough time to develop who your next opponent's going to be because you're playing week to week. They've had three months to they've for three months they've known it's it's Oakland or it's L.A. <laughs> excuse me, it's the Vegas is the team that we're playing, and what's the game plan going to be for Lamar? Uh, you know, I, I expect to see a nice. Nice dose of running. We'll see how that establish if they can establish that the line can open the holes, and, and they can get on that pace. It makes things easier for your Hollywood Browns to succeed out there at the wideout position. But let's not forget about the big man in the middle in Mark Andrews. I think he needs to have a big game tomorrow as well for Baltimore. And if they can establish this run early, it might be a long night for the Raiders, Chris. And Tim, it's an interesting contrast because. The Raiders, right, you talked about this. It was their Achilles heel last year, make no mistake about it, was their defense and the defense, you know, allowing almost 30 points a game that they allowed. I mean, the Raiders scored 27 points a game last year and weren't even close to making the playoffs. Just showed how, you know, bad the impact was defensively. But they add Gus Bradley now, who's hired to kind of recalibrate that side of the football. Uh, you bring in, obviously, Yannick uh, Ngakwe, who's, you know, incidentally spent most of last season in Baltimore, and he was the big free agent acquisition to help along with that pass rush. You've got Max Crosby there, you know, and they have, a, which is a nice duo on the edge. And then, of course, the late addition of KJ Wright, which gives, you know, which I think absolutely bolsters that back line. So you've got, you know, you know, and Bradley's a guy who's aggressive. Make no mistake about it. He's he's a he's has an aggressive scheme, and that's that those those types of schemes prove. That uh, to give Lamar Jackson fits, right, in past matchups. When he's had to go up against uh, the likes of a Gus Bradley or a defensive scheme like this, it can be a problem. So make, make, make no mistake about it, the Raiders are live in this football game. And much is, look, much is made, Tim, about the Raiders' win streak in the preseason, right, where they won 20 preseason games. But they also have a, another streak that's pretty impressive that uh, correlates uh, f- from the past five seasons, since 2016. The Raiders are five, I mean the Ravens are 5 and 0 in season mm-hmm. openers and they've dominated in each one of those wins but you know outscoring teams 177 to 26. So this is a team led by as you mentioned John Harbaugh who his legacy is basically solidified, right? He's got a Super Bowl ring there. Obviously during the Flacco era and during that era where the defense was just you know was defense they they had one of the more balanced teams in the NFL. That won a Super Bowl. It seems like eons ago that they won that Super Bowl against the Niners, by the way. But that being said, I mean it's it's uh, you know it's two coaches that uh, that have won Super Bowls, but that are still trying. I, I think they're trying to get their second win, right? I mean, you think about it. Both John Harbaugh and John Gruden, you know, have are are guys who you know have seen glory in the past, but they're just trying. It's almost like they want to recapture it. So I think th- those are. Those, that's kind of an interesting contrast, too, between those two coaches and these two teams. And that matchup with that offense with, obviously, Lamar Jackson, led by Lamar Jackson, and that running game going against that defense is going to be a big thing to watch tomorrow night. 
what's the steam that you hear from talking to other members of the media or even, you know, hanging out at work and people are talking about the Raiders? I know in Vegas, of course, you're going to back your home team, so there's going to be a lot of public sentiment towards the Raiders. And when you look at that line that's been out, Chris, for a while, it really didn't move too much off of the number where it sits at a four. And, I, you know, in my mind, it's like we saw today, right? We're going to go over games here a little bit later in week one. There were some upsets. Week one, anything can happen. Everybody starts out the same. And it would not surprise me, being a Ravens fan, to say maybe the atmosphere, maybe the Raiders being hyped up, somehow find a way to win this game, whether it be because Baltimore can't establish a run, uh, Lamar struggles, and, and the Raiders just take advantage of that and, and win week one, you know. But come week 17, week 18, in my heart and in my brain, I feel that the Ravens will be the playoff team and the Raiders will be the team sitting out. But we're going to talk about tomorrow. And, uh, you know, when you look at what Gruden's going to bring, you know, you talked about legacies. Look, as far as a legacy, Gruden's has a legacy. But his legacy as a Raider head coach, where are we at on that window? I know it was a 10-year contract and there's supposed to be pieces that they're working every year. But don't you think this the, the window starts to close a little bit here shortly that he's got to get in the playoffs somehow? Well, if there's any question that the window will, sh- will close sh- shortly. But the discussions, and it's been funny, Tim, because across Sports Talk Radio here in Las Vegas, there has been discussion as to I mean, is, is if you think of John Gruden, do you think of him on the hot seat? I don't think he is. I don't think John Gruden is on the hot seat. So by definition, I think we, to, to answer your question, I don't think we're at that point yet where we're making a determination. I do think Mike Mayock is someone that I'd begin I'd consider on the hot seat, given that you know, look, upper management tends to uh, have have a lot shorter leash. Let's put it that way than a coach like a John Gruden who's in the position that he's in. So, I but my initial answer would be that no, I don't think John Gruden necessarily is on the hot seat now. Could that circumstance change? Could there be a situation where the Raiders go four and four and thirteen? If they go four and thirteen or three and you know three and, and fourteen, I mean, I, I yeah, I guess I guess maybe th- th- there could be thoughts to make a change. But I, again, given you know what the Raiders are all about and what their makeup is and what the team is, I don't really necessarily see that happening. Now, I'm also not somebody who is looking at this through rose-colored glasses, you know, even some people in the media who cover the Raiders and who talk about, you know, and talk about the Las Vegas Raiders and say that, oh, this is definitely a, a playoff team. I, I, I don't see that either. I, I, I think that they're just out of the playoffs. I mean, given the makeup of both their division and the rest of the AFC, I just don't know. And, and look, they're already behind the eight ball from an offensive line standpoint with Richie Incognito being down. He's, not, he's out for this game. I don't know how, how long he's expected to be out, but the offensive line is going to be a big key to whether or not this offensive uh, team is able to to put up the likes of four touchdowns a game, right, which they were able to do almost last year. So I like the, the young kid they got out of Alabama, obviously, and Alex Leatherwood, who is going to be called on to protect Derek Carr and uh, against a consistently great Baltimore defense tomorrow night. But, uh, you know, it's it's kind of an unsteady lack of continuity type of offensive line right now, especially going into tomorrow night with, uh, you know, Colton Miller is the only returning starter at his respective position is John Simpson. I mean, John Simpson has two career starts. You've got Andre James, the center. He's got one career start. 
Denzel Good, who's the you know last year's starting left guard, and you got obviously Alex Leatherwood again. He's he's the right tackle. Are you know these these guys? There's no experience. So I mean, and it's just no. And you know, Tim, how things have gone as far as the preseason. It's not just a Raider thing. Every team in the NFL, it seems like, you know, was uh, very cautious. Let's put it that way. When it came to preseason and playing guys who were starters or big time players, you, you just didn't see it. So I think that. I think the Raiders, look, I, I think that they're right there on the cusp of being a playoff team, but I don't think they make it. So, I, But at the same time, I don't look at it and say, oh, yeah, you know, Mark Davis and powers that be with the Raiders are going to just say sayonara and uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to John Gruden and decide to go in a completely different direction at the end of the season. Is this just Raider fans hyping the team up because it's the first game, Chris? I you know, all around here, it's and and this is something that being a Ravens fan, I feel like they never get any respect. And and if you look at franchises, just just go back the last ten years, they're one of the top five teams in the last ten years record wise. They just never get any respect because I don't know, they're just not flashy. Uh, they they win ugly, whatever the case may be. But consistently, and especially in the Harbaugh era, even the Brian Billick era, they're they win. That's what they do. And again, I feel like this number wasn't moved because they lost three running backs, Chris. This number wasn't moved because Marcus Peters is out for this for the year. Number's kind of always been there. And is it because A, uh, the respect factor, B, with the team in Vegas, they feel the money is going to come that way anyways? C, the environment. Okay, I get it. It's going to be crazy and rowdy. It's not like this Raven team hasn't played in Buffalo, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. They do it every year, right? And and uh, the biggest factor for me here is taking away any injury situation is the Raiders' defense. And, and I know you, you summed it up earlier. You talked about the, all the additions to try to neutralize Jackson getting past that line of scrimmage. And what has always been the the um, the knock on Lamar is it's not a good passer. Well, here's a perfect opportunity to try to pick apart that secondary. And uh, you know, Chris, if this game was in Baltimore, this would be a touchdown spread, right? But it's four on the road. I don't know. I, I like Baltimore a lot tomorrow, and uh, maybe it's the the my heart speaking with this, or maybe it's just that everybody I talk to loves Raiders, and it kind of just makes me feel good knowing that that respect thing, and this is something that Lamar Jackson continuously every year has to deal with is the lack of respect for what he can do. Maybe he just comes out and has a great game passing and it puts those pundits to sleep a little bit. Well, you hit the nail on the head from a respect factor, right? Because, yes, the people do sleep on the Ravens because you think about the AFC, they're just other teams that, you know, you, you absolutely, you know, are, are determined to mention. But this is a this is a Baltimore Ravens team that's been in the playoffs the last three seasons, right? So they have the resume, they have the the credibility, they have you know the cachet that they should have. So I I would expect that Gruden, uh, the coaching staff, as well as the players of the Raiders, they all understand that and are going into this you know with all eyes wide open. But uh, that being said, Tim, you know, look, the Raiders have been known to kind of you know shock in prime time, right? I mean, this is a Raiders team that. Last year, you know, obviously we saw what happened against the Chiefs in both matchups. You know, uh, we saw what they did against the New Orleans Saints last season in prime time. And, you know, one, it, this is a crowd that's been waiting to pour into a leading stadium for a full year. 
So expect the fans to have an impact as well. You're going to have the black hole there. You know, you've got, you're going to have that, that just, uh, that pent up uh, angst, I guess is a good way to put it, that uh, is going to be interesting to watch to say the least, Tim. So uh, I think that's a combination of those two things are why Vegas is getting more respect here. Now you look at the line, like as we talked about, four and a half, sitting at four, four, four and a half in most places, in most books. And it hasn't moved, you know. And I think the reason that is is because flat out, Las Vegas has gotten better on defense. We'll see tomorrow night. I mean, they, they'll have an opportunity tomorrow night to see how much better they got on defense. And their offense was one of the best in the NFL last season. So, you know, you got Carr, you got you got Carr and company. They need to utilize the run game. You got to lean on Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. And you got to be able to open it up a little bit and attack the Ravens' defensive speed on the outside. Obviously, Darren Waller has to be a major factor. And mm. I've been saying this. I said it to Tommy last week, Tim. I think I've said it to you like 15 times. Every other show I've done in Vegas, I've said it nonstop. I want to see Henry Ruggs III develop into the guy that I think he can be. I think he can be a star. I think he can be a Tyreek Hill type of talent. He's got to go out there and start producing and start showing it. And, yeah, it's on Carr and, and the you know and the offensive coordinator and everybody else to kind of get him involved too. But at the same time, he's got to start producing and making plays and start complimenting the likes of Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs and these, the other, these other key guys who are, you know, the skilled players on the offensive side for Las Vegas and the Raiders. And that way, that will be a big help to this Las Vegas team getting better and having a, you know, being looked on much more seriously, Tim, when it comes to the AFC and the AFC playoff picture. And I don't want to be accused of being a homer, so I'll, I'll jump on the Raiders side of it with you and, and say this, as far as points of interest, A, Derek uh, Carr, right? He kind of, yep. going into last year, had this huge target is he the guy he had a he had a pretty good year last year right wasn't anything spectacular but he i think he kind of quieted everybody down but guess what you lose week one all of a sudden and you have a bad game all of a sudden that starts to heat up again can they maintain jacobs i think jacobs looked good great in spurts last year but then other times he disappeared now you add a guy like Kenyon drake there backfield with him they have that duo there i think they should exploit the two-headed monster a little bit and uh, Ruggs, you said him. That guy has super speed, man. But for whatever reason, inside his head, he can't get it out of his own way. Maybe another year, wiser and more mature, we'll we'll, we'll see him kind of step out into that scene. And, and Waller's a key, right? You know, everybody was trying to say, oh, Waller has this motivation to play the Ravens. He doesn't have motivation to play the Ravens. He, you know, he, he was he barely made the team with Baltimore, and he found his way to, to Las Vegas. So he just wants to excel himself to be the next level of tight end. So there's plenty of talking points for, for the Raiders to to be able to put points up this year. And, you know, Chris, like I said, it's week one. We talked, we're going to talk about all these upsets today or, or near upsets. It, it would not surprise me to see Vegas, as you said, in prime time, come out to play and win this game and win this game nicely against Baltimore. It's what they can do over the long haul of the season is where we'll see. And better yet, uh, Anything can happen tomorrow night. That's what makes this such fun in week one. With that being said, what's your prediction on this game tomorrow night here in Las Vegas? I'm predicting that 
the Raiders are going to win the football game. I think okay. the Las Vegas Raiders are going to win. So I think it's going to be some type of 34 to 27 type of football game. I do have confidence tomorrow night. I'm just talking about tomorrow night. I'm not talking about the rest of the season. I think that, you know, there's going to be so amped up. And the Ravens, you know, dealing with the, just the immediate injuries that are taking place, I think that are going to be uh, detrimental to them in this football game. I think that the Raiders are going to put up points. I think that Derek Carr does show out. And, Tim, you know, quickly on that point, Derek Carr, I mean, make no mistake about it, right, Tim? We are in this town. It always seems to come back to talking about Derek Carr. Is he the guy? Is he a franchise quarterback? Can he be the man to lead the Raiders? I mean, there's talk about other quarterbacks bringing in other guys. You know, the whole, when Deshaun Watson, you know, the, uh, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers, all that stuff. Was, it was all, you know, it all comes down to the quarterback. Because the quarterback is, is the guy who gets so much focus, right? You get, you get all the credit when you win. You get absolutely destroyed when you lose. And Derek Carr's, you know, kind of had some Jekyll and Hyde moments. We all know that. And what was it, three, four seasons ago, he put up huge numbers. And it looked like he was going to emerge as one of those guys. It's been kind of, you know, and, and then last year he, play, he, had a, he had a solid season last year. I think he had career highs across the board with a lot of his stats last season. So you would expect that he'd be able to build on that. And I expect him tomorrow night to be, he's not going to be the only reason they win. I think they have, they're going to be able to put up points. For, they're going to be able to be effective in the running game with Josh Jacobs. And I do think that Darren Waller is going to be heavily involved tomorrow night. And defensively, I think they, they are not going to be great. But I do think that they do end up making some big plays. And I think there is something, Tim, to this Raiders when they play in prime time over the last couple of seasons. They've been able to find a little bit of magic. And I think they do find that magic tomorrow night. And the Raiders end up going 1-0 and on the season. And so you... So, Mr. Rugglesby, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be the next seven days up until that week two matchup. It's, there's going to be a lot of fawning and, and a, a lot of positive chatter and talk and sports talk radio is going to be going nuts about how the Raiders won on Monday night. There's going to be all kinds of positivity, Tim, I'm telling you, in Vegas for the next seven days because the Raiders, I think, are going to come to play tomorrow night and get the W. Yeah, I can, I can, I kind of feel it a little bit. I feel with all the positive momentum happening, and uh, this is a funny, this is a funny one for me. Is that I told you at the beginning, I'm going in as a fan. I'm going to be wearing the Lamar jersey tomorrow, Chris, yep. in a booth full of Raider fans. I can't. I'm bracing myself, preparing myself just to be completely uh, just taken apart by Raider fans if if they, not only if they win. But if they somehow find a way to blow the Ravens out, it's going to be a long night for Mr. Unglesby. But with that being said, looks like your money is Raiders plus the points and the over and maybe a little sprinkle of Raider money line. How about that? You're right. You're speaking my language right there, Tim. And the fact that you're going to the game with your jersey, you're, you're, a, you're a very brave soul, my friend, because our, our mutual buddy, Doug Marsh, who, of course, is a Raiders fan, has been, been with Lowe's for a long time, and you know, he's uh, it, back, I want to say 2014, Tim, the Lions were playing in Oakland against the Raiders. And I was going to that to the Bay Area to go visit my brother who lives up in Berkeley. And I, I said to Doug, I think I'm going to be rolling down 
to the Raiders Lions game in my Lions gear. Now make now understand, Tim, right? There's no real rivalry between the Lions and the Raiders. But he was but Doug was like, Chris, don't do it. You're taking a chance that you know there could be some extracurricular activity going down if you know what I mean uh, uh, on your head if you rolled in there with some lions gear on and that was lions gear Tim okay I'm not talking about you know an AFC team or heaven forbid I was wearing Broncos or Chargers or Chiefs gear into an environment where there was Raider Nation everywhere so. I guess what I'm saying is, uh, stay safe, my friend. Make sure you're okay. Hope you and uh, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'll, my good thoughts are going your way. You're gonna you're gonna be okay. I'm sure you'll be fine. But it's just he, uh, he, it was funny how he he was uh, very cautious for me. Let's put it that way. Now you see, Chris, th- this is Vegas. I think the the population here is a little more civilized than the Oakland population at that time, right? Because I, I had a similar story was that when the Ravens went to Oakland in their initial Super Bowl run, yeah, I believe it was, I think it was a semifinal on their way. I think they knocked out uh, New England to get to the Super Bowl that year, but they were playing in Oakland, and they were like, are you going to go to the game? I go, no, I'm not going to the game. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> but this, I, I got a plan, though, Chris. I'm going to wear the jersey. I'm going to wear something over the jersey in, take that off, have the jersey on during the game, and then if the Ravens win, that, sh- that shirt goes right back over the jersey. I'll be okay. I'll be, everything will be fine. I'm going, this is, what, this is my prediction. I, I love the way, as we're going to talk about, these lines. It's amazing sometimes how close these lines are to the true score. Give me the Ravens 31-27 over Oakland, or I don't even know why I keep saying that. Over Vegas tomorrow night, 31-27 falls right on the number, Chris. Makes a lot of sense, my friend, and I do like your plan. It's a solid plan, Tim, because you know, yeah, you, I don't, I, I don't think it would be wise if uh, you do, if the Ravens do win the football game, if you're out there strutting around and uh, you know flashing, flashing the jersey too much. <laughs> even though I do kind of concur with you that Vegas may have a more, I like the way you put it. Like Vegas has a more civilized fan base than Oakland did back in the day. That that was good stuff, Tim. I'm not gonna lie to you, that was quality. <laughs> That's my man, Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports. It's time for our first time out. When we come back, we'll stay local. We'll stay, we'll stay and talk about a team that will be coming to Elysian Stadium next weekend. That's your UNOV Rebels as they welcome in Iowa State, the Cyclones. And uh, this could get ugly. We're going to break that down for you as well as last night's loss in Tempe to the Sun Devils. It's Heat Wave Sports here on a super Sunday night, Fox Sports Radio. Back on Heat Wave Sports, Tim Unglesby, Chris Wynn here on a Super Sunday night. Great first segment talking about the big, real, quote in, in, in the parentheses, real first home game for the Vegas Raiders tomorrow night, ESPN Monday Night Football against the Baltimore Ravens. And we're going to stay locally and talk about a matchup. Well, let's, 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 let's throw it back, Chris. Let's go back to last night. We're going to talk about the Rebels right now. Rebel, Rebel team, uh, a terrible first loss to open the season. And going into this matchup with Arizona State, a top 25 school, I think everybody knew this was going to be an L. 
It was just a matter of would they stay within the number, which ended up being right around 33-34. They did. They did cover the spread, Chris. They lost 37-10, so just 27 points. So the problem was for me was after a very spirited first half that the Rebels played against Arizona State, only being down four at the break, they were completely dominated in the second half. And you saw really, uh, I don't know if it's a depth issue, it's a size issue, but Arizona State just steamrolled them on the ground in the second half on their way to the victory outscoring them 23 to nothing and really just the as much as every season we always bring up at the beginning of the year all the positives and, and this could be could this be a year the rebels start to progress we're still seeing these same signs chris that we've seen year after year of can they ever get over that hump and the hump unfortunately now is two three wins terrible terrible um outlook if you're looking at it because what I saw last night is is leading me to believe that when the book set the number of wins at one and a half, there was reason for that. And as much optimism as, as much optimism as you want to throw into it, there are glaring holes that the Rebels still have not addressed. And you look at that too, Tim. You look at that one and a half number. It makes you think about and wonder. Maybe they thought that that Eastern Washington game was going to be a part of that, right? So. Yeah. You look further on through the schedule, and it's got to be just a very difficult situation for Marcus Arroyo and for UNLV football fans because it's almost seeming like a never-ending cycle where we talk about we want to be positive. We want to be – we want to look at things glass half full when we talk about UNLV, and, and they're making improvements, and they're, and they're getting better, and they're doing this, but at the same time – you know, week to week, we get a gauge on that, right? We see what this team is about. We get a chance to see exactly what goes down. And watching the football game, obviously, on Saturday night, if you're here in Las Vegas and if you're listening to and if you're on social media and across across the board and you're listening to Rebel fans, Rebel fans will say, well, yeah, it was competitive, right? First half, we were there. We were right there hanging with them. And then the second half came around, and it, it was almost like, you know, flashback to reality type of situation. And if you listen to any other media or social media people outside of Las Vegas, it was a tale of two halves from Arizona State standpoint. And it was like the Sun Devils' first half was just a complete stinker, and the second half was stellar, right? And they went out there and they performed in the second half. He talked about the running game with Rashad White adding two rushing touchdowns. And you had Jade Daniels running for a career high, 122 yards. And Arizona State's defense held UNLV to just 19 total yards in the second half. 19, Tim, in the second half. And the Sun Devils were dominant with a 23-0 advantage after the break. You had White, 90 yards on the ground, had that, 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 that crucial, I guess you can call it crucial, nine-yard touchdown late in the third quarter to give Arizona State that 21-10 lead. And then he adds that uh, touchdown in the fourth quarter as well, too. Daniels goes, you know, for 175 yards, a couple of touchdowns and a pick. And But in the first half, yeah, they were right there in the first half. And I was shocked. I was surprised that that, that UNLV was making it competitive and they were there. And, you know, you, you started to hear positive things when, you know, when you when you get a chance to listen to, you know, when you listen to our friend Caleb Herring on, on the broadcast, right, Do, doing color commentaries, saying good things about uh, about Brumfield, right, at the quarterback position and saying good things about this team. But the fact of the matter is this. They're still 0-2. 
and they're going to face a pissed-off Iowa State team after I watched that football game yesterday between Iowa and Iowa State, that battle for, you know, that in-state battle. And the Hawkeyes were looked like a better football team, but Arizona, but I also had, a, I could see what's going to happen next week. I could see that the Cyclones are going to be just furious after what happened last week and are going to come in here looking to just put a, just, just coming in here looking to boat race, boat race UNLV and flex their muscles a bit. So I think it could be a very difficult situation for UNLV going into that matchup at Allegiant Stadium just, just under a week from, from today. So, again, I mean, I, 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 mean I, I, I know I continue to harp on it, but it's, it's, it's a program that doesn't look like, you know, there's any real promise on the horizon, on the immediate horizon, right, Tim, with this program, given the schedule that they face and given just the flat-out reality of the situation. And, uh, again, it's got to be tough, for the, and especially on the likes of someone like Marcus Arroyo. Before before we jump into Iowa State, I, I just want to touch on a couple things with with UNLV, and um, we'll start with let's start with last night. Okay, the spirited first half effort, worn down obviously in the second half. They just Arizona State just ran the football down their throats, and you said statistically for the game almost 300 yards on the ground for the Cyclones. And, and that's going to be, we talked about Achilles heels. That's going to be a huge Achilles heel for the Rebel football team the rest of the season. They're just going to get run on and run on and run on. Um, as far as our rushing attack goes, Williams, a great game in week one. He was shut down last night. And, and um, that, that's something to look at is that when you become one-dimensional, which the Rebels are right now, you know that they're going to suffer with that aspect as well, and I know Brumfield looked good in spots last night, Chris, before he got hurt. That that's that's all fine and dandy, but you know it doesn't change the fact that there's glaring holes. The line is is not not capable of protecting the quarterback. I don't think the receiving core is very good, in my opinion. Um, and again, I'm going to bring this up, and I don't know any of the backstory of what's going on other than I know who he is, I know what he's done previously, and I know he supposedly is injured right now. And I'm going to bring up Tate Martell again because you guys were, uh, you had really remarked about it on social media a couple weeks ago, and I, I hit you up, up privately. I said, what's going on? With, what do you know about Tate? And this is through, I believe you said this is through Caleb Herring and, and Steve Gofield when they were discussing it. For me, you cannot tell me, and I, I'll never believe this, Chris, that basically one of the top recruits, what, 2016, 2017, I think we're going back that far, top recruits, goes to Ohio State, right? That, that's how well regarded he was. There's no way in my mind, regardless of what he's gone through at Ohio State, basically getting, Josh Fields basically came in and took his spot. That's what happened there. Uh, goes to Miami, can't get on the field past Derek King. I forget the other guy who's the backup right now. I think it's Kosey is, is his name. Somehow can't, fi can't find the field there as well. I, in my mind, cannot – I will never come to grips to say that if he's injured right now and that's why he's not active, that's, I can understand that, Chris. But you're not – you know, nobody's going to tell me 
that Brumfield and Rodgers are a better quarterback than than Tate Martell. I will never believe that. Maybe I'm just living in in La La Land, but if he's if there's something wrong there, I, I you know I just can't fathom why you bring the kid in. And if it's learning the playbook, he's a smart kid. He'll he, you know he'll figure it out. Is there anything here that I'm missing? Do you know anything in the backside of this story why Tate Martell, other than being injured, is not active on this football team right now? Well, you just inspired. Let me go on a little bit of a rant here. Mm-hmm. I don't think this makes any sense whatsoever. Now, I'm going to kind of take pieces of what you just said, and then I'm going to kind of inject it into my perception on this. Okay? Yes. I. It doesn't. I, I, I'm flabbergasted. I don't get how a kid can be one of the top recruits in the country, go to two programs that are far and away, Tim, far and away better football programs than UNLV is, okay? He expected, now look, we understand that, you know, a, a, a recruit his caliber and with the expectations that he has was supposed to go to Ohio State and be the starter, right? He was supposed to just go there. And that was going to be his college career. Obviously, it doesn't shake out there. It doesn't pan out. He ends up down in South Florida. He goes to Miami. And same situation. You would think, okay, he was an Ohio State recruit. Now he's at Miami. Okay, and Miami's a little bit down, obviously, than what they normally are. So you would think, okay, that's, that's him down, going, you know, taking maybe a, a little bit of a step down. And yet he doesn't even fit into the mix there. Then what transpires? Well, then... He just decides to come home, okay? Which you know would you can be looking look at it any way you want. You could be, you know, you can look at it kind of pessimistically like I do, and say, well, he's just coming home with his tail between his legs because he couldn't cut it at two other programs, you know, that are top tier, and so now he's coming back home to play here. I just can't fathom, and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna I'm gonna put an exclamation point on this, and you kind of alluded to it, Tim. I just cannot fathom how there's even a discussion and how there was even a competition and how there's even, you know, when you talk about Rodgers and Brumfield, let me tell you something, Tim. Brumfield, you know, who a lot of people want to, you know, wax poetic about and talk about how he's got skills and how he's, you know, he showed he showed flashes and all this. Brumfield threw for 60 yards and ran for 63, or excuse me, ran for 43 and a touchdown against Arizona State on Saturday. He threw for 60 yards. I mean, it's just, it's, just, it's just unreal. The Sun Devils ended the game with a 462 to 155 advantage in total yards. That's not, I mean, you don't have a, you don't have a quarterback right now. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm saying it plainly, but you don't have a quarterback right now. So, uh, you know, outside of any injury, I don't know how Tate Martell is in the mix. And yes, I was referring to when you talked about Obviously, Steve Cofield and and when they had Caleb Herring on their show, Caleb was flat out, and this is before the game, right? This is before their second game against Arizona State. He was essentially, and I'm not going to put words in his mouth, I'm just going to paraphrase him. He's essentially saying that Tate Martell is not in the mix right now at quarterback. And they were even discussing things like Tate Martell playing wide receiver for UNLV, right? Or another position. So... I mean, I don't know what that says about Tate Martell. I don't. I know what it says about the UNLV. I don't know what it says about the UNLV program. I mean, this is a program that's in shambles when it comes to personnel-wise. 
So I don't, I don't, again, I don't get it, Tim. I don't understand it. I, I would think that if you're a team that is now 0-2 and you're about to go up against a buzzsaw in Iowa State on Saturday in a matchup that you're not going to win, so you're probably going to be 0-3, I don't understand how they don't look to make a change at quarterback. And maybe, you know, and given, again, you pointed out, he's, he must, hopefully he's healthy, right? And uh, hopefully he's still there. But uh, it, was a, it was a thumb issue. I know that. And I'll, let me correct myself. When I said inactive, he, he was active last night, but he wasn't on the depth chart. So he would have only played if something happened to Rodgers as well. But he was suited up. I saw him on the sidelines. No, we, we, we both saw him. You and I both yeah. saw him on the sidelines. He was actually, yeah. he's sending in signals. And he was, uh, yeah, he had, right. he had the headset on and everything. So, I'm, so he could have played, right? I would expect yes. that he could have played. Yes, so that's why I'd ask. Maybe I know you know Caleb more uh, better than I do, and maybe there was a backstory to why he said he wasn't even in the mix. Maybe Arroyo just wanted to bring him along because he transferred in. He, you know, he came in late into camp, but the direction the season is going to go, and you're going to see it happen as we kind of seg into this Iowa State game on Saturday. And we'll just watch the time on this one, Chris, so we can take the the, the time out. But they're going to get blown out Saturday. The line's only 30, and I say only 30. And that's because of what happened yesterday with Iowa, right? The rivalry game, top 10, two top 10 teams. And, and you said they're pissed off. They dropped four spots to number 14. They got embarrassed in the rivalry game. And they're taking their, they're going to take it out on the Rebels. There's no doubt about that. So at what point, if you're Marcus Arroyo and you haven't won a football game in two years, and you're looking at your quarterback situation, and it may play itself into his, I don't know the extent of Brumfield's injury, or if he's injured enough that he won't play, or, or whatever the case may be. And you have Tate Martell there. Let the kid play in his city, a place where he, he won as a high school player, a place where he was, able to, he was able to be afforded an opportunity to play at Ohio State. And it wasn't like, when he played at Ohio State, Chris, I remember he got, he got garbage time uh, appearances but he was succeeding against first-rate Big Ten defenses when he was in the game, right? At Miami, I don't know the situation. I don't know what happened there. I don't think he wanted to be there necessarily. He wants, he's happy to be back home. Everything that I've read, and he's very private, which is, makes this a little bit harder. Uh, everything that I've read from people that know him and posted about him is he's happy to be home. And he put in a lot of off-season work, Chris, to be in peak physical condition for this. And will it change the Rebel season? No, I don't think it will but it'll give it something positive to move on if he's successful. I remember a guy who used to play here in the 90s named John Denton. He played at Green Valley High School, and uh, when he played and was able to start for the Rebels, things kind of changed. And maybe that could be a catalyst for the Rebel football program is to have the local guy come home and do well. And maybe what they need is, come Saturday, Chris, is an ass-whipping to make that change happen because they have Fresno State and Mountain West play exactly a week later. And a quick note to add to this too, Tim, right? It's not like he is facing, and I'm talking about Tate Martell, you know, quarterbacks who are going out there and just lighting things up, right? You're, he's not, the guys that are in front of him aren't out there putting up even decent numbers. You know what I mean? They're not even going out there putting up a couple hundred yards and a couple of touchdowns and they lose respectively. You know what I mean? And, and it's, it's not even that type of situation. It's a situation where the quarterbacks are not Division one caliber quarterbacks, in my opinion, mm -hmm. at UNLV right now, that
that are playing above, ahead of him. So again, I reiterate, it makes no sense to me. And you can have people, maybe Marcus Arroyo can say, well, I know more about football than you do. And maybe the coaching staff, you know, the offensive coaching staff can say, well, we know more than you, Chris, and Tim do about football. Well, maybe you do. But, I mean, I'm just sitting back, and we're just both kicking back and looking at this whole scenario and saying to ourselves, and you pointed out, you know, what, what the season – the season is going to be what it is, okay? UNLV is not going to be a bowl team, all right? We saw the number that they're – you know, one, you, you mentioned the one-and-a-half number. They're, they're going to be one of the bottom feeders in the Mountain West Conference, okay? So, yes, I think they will need some kind of injection in the arm where, you know, you, you bring in a kid who's a local guy, who has talent, okay, and who has, at spots, been able to perform at the highest level when it comes to college. And you kind of just roll with it because I think that's going to end up being, you know, what, what they're going to end up having to do here. Do they, do, they, do they swallow that crow, though? I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. And it's just, uh, just going to be interesting, to say the least, to see exactly how this all pans out. Tim. I think you said it perfectly. You and I could be regarded as armchair quarterbacks and Marcus Arroyo successful at Oregon as the OC. But you know what? You're going to be criticized no matter what. And I'll call him out right now. I'll criticize him in the fact that you cannot tell me that Brumfield and Rogers are better talented athletes all around than Tate Martell is. I've seen, I watched Tate Martell play for three years at Gorman. I watched him play almost every Every play that he was able to get in at Ohio State, Chris, I know what he's capable of doing. And he's a foot, he's, since he's a little kid, football mind. And the way that his offseason was and he worked out to get to this point, I, I don't see where we're going to go wrong here. The Rebels are in rebuild phase anyways. The, the, like you said, let's give him the, the, the shot. Let's give him the injection. Let's give him the vax. Right, Chris? Let's give him the shot in the arm. They're going to they're gonna need it. And he might get some time Saturday. I mean, you and I both agree this blowout city written all over it. Yeah, just and quickly as we before we go to break. I mean, it, what what better spot to do it than the quarterback position, right, Tim? Mm-hmm. I mean, the quarterback position is so key and is so important. And make no mistake about it, UNLV is no different in the situation. So yes, I think that that shot in the arm where you inject a kid that could be electrifying, right? He could be a guy that can that could make plays and go out there and and make it a better result. We all know the end game, the end result's not probably not going to change, right? You're not going to see Tate Martell go out there and win football games for UNLV. It's going to be more even about, you know, I mean, offensively, obviously Charles Williams is more important than he would be. But that being said, I mean, at least take the shot. At least throw the bomb, you know? At least throw the Hail Mary, you know, from a, you know, from a, from a standpoint of Marcus Arroyo and the coaching staff and say, hey, you know, maybe... This is something we can do. Hour two, Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 989 FM, 1340 AM. It's Chris Wynn and Tim Munglesby with you as we're going to jump into the NFL. But, but Chris, that's what happens when you get into a spirited debate about and it's hard to say that there's a lot of spirited debates about the UNLV football program on this show. Historically, it's generally not a lot of good things to say because there's not much to say, but we both truly feel that 
a guy that, and maybe this is the plan that we just don't know about because we're not in the know. Maybe Martell is on Arroyo's depth list as when he's healthy, he's going to play, and hopefully that's the route they go. It can't hurt them to give the, sh the kid a shot. No question. And look, we do cover the team, and we have for a long time. You're actually an alum, right, UNLV? So, mm -hmm. you know, there is, there is a wish that we have that they do well, right? And we want to see this program get better. We want to see this program, you know, actually start turning into something that's relevant. And so I think there is an amount of frustration on your part and on my part and a lot of us here in Vegas that it isn't going that way, that, you know, there are continuous stalls and continuous situations where it's like they're stuck in quicksand and they can't get any better. And it just sucks. So I think that people, you know, and yeah, so it does lead to, it leads to spirited discussion to say the least, right, Tim? When, we, when it comes to the Las Vegas sports radio airwaves and talking UNLV football. Rebels, Iowa State Saturday over at Allegiant Stadium. And Iowa State is a 30-point favorite in that football game. But we're going to talk NFL Week 1, Chris. We're going to run through each and every game as we take it to the midnight hour. And let's start in Nashville today where the Arizona Cardinals went on the road behind Kyler Murray's four touchdown passes, two to DeAndre Hopkins as they just boat race Tennessee 38-13. to Derrick Henry ineffective today in this game as they got him. They got him, they got him early, and they maintained that, that progression all through the three quarters on their way to a big 25-point victory, Chris. How impressive was Kyler Murray, Tim? I mean, he provided us a little, you know, a little look into how much better he might be as he goes into his third NFL season. And uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I think, I think Chandler Jones is making the case to him that the Cardinals need to sign him to the new contract that he wants, mm -hmm. and they better do it pretty quick, okay? Because uh, both of those guys were just tremendous in this football game. I had, I had the wrong side here. I had the Tennessee Titans, and I was laying the points. And Murray goes out there and throws for five touchdowns, and then Jones has a career-high five sacks. And, the, you know, the Cardinals just dominated this game through and through. And it's, it's, it's a big road win for Arizona on, uh, you know, to open up the season. And uh, this is a division. Tim, watch out. This division, everybody won today in this division. It could, be, uh, it could be clearly the best division in all of the NFL this year. I was definitely impressed with, with Arizona offensively. That's, that's the Arizona that you think, led by Cliff Kingsbury, that that they're capable of doing and you're right we always look for the progression of the young quarterbacks we saw it with Lamar and Josh Allen and even Mayfield a little bit and now Murray's in the next year so we want to see him progress and this is a good start for him my, my thing on the is on Tennessee and tonight we're going to talk about the word overreaction a lot Chris because it's week one you know these teams aren't this, these most of these teams aren't going to be the teams that we see come week 15 week 16 and I think Tennessee just they just didn't look good at all today you know and everybody wants to say oh well, Tennessee's losing it I, you know I, I can't say that when you have a guy like Derrick Henry who's going to rumble for 2,000 yards possibly this year you know that's a team that two years ago was in the AFC title game a team that last year bounced from the playoffs by my Ravens they're they're a playoff caliber team they just didn't get they just didn't get out of the gates today Chris and you know that's I don't think we're going to be see talking about Tennessee being a seven and nine team or a seven and ten team at the end of the year I think they're still very much so in the playoff chase when it comes down to the end of it, and if not a division champion. 
Yeah, I'm not going to overreact to him when I think about the Tennessee Titans. And Mike Vrabel talked about this after the game. He gave Arizona credit. He said basically he got outcoached, and uh, his team just got outplayed. And, and he talked about, you know, it's disappointing to start the season off that way. But this is a Titans team that not only did they win the AFC South last year, but they also had one of the NFL's best offenses, right, a year ago. And obviously Derrick Henry is a massive part of that, the AP NFL Offensive Player of the Year after – rushing for over 2,000 yards. And uh, this is a football team that tied the Bills for the second most yards per game and ranked fourth in scoring. And then, and then, by the way, they pick up Julio Jones back in June. So it was a team I thought that it suffered from a little bit of rust in, because the Titans were one of those teams that didn't have a lot of guys playing together in the preseason. So I think Ryan Tannehill is going to get better. I think, I think this is a, you know, a, uh, this is, a, this is a football team, especially offensively, that's going to have more, much more cohesiveness, and I think they'll be just fine moving forward. We'll go to Washington, where the L.A. Chargers open the season on the East Coast and a, a gritty 2016 win against the Washington football team. I, I heard a – I call him a hack. This is what I call a hack. I heard a hack on the radio talk about the old West Coast, the East Coast time zone – football teams and how it affects them you know that doesn't apply in week one chris because everybody's healthy and, and fresh that that applies a little bit later in the season when you're talking about playing back-to-back weeks and then traveling three time zones to play an early morning game when you're a west coast franchise so the guy's definitely a hack it doesn't apply in the in the early week and you know really what this was for me was of course the injury early to fitzy hurt them hurt washington but san diego proved you know the defense isn't bad, and Herbert looked, again, here we go, progression with young quarterbacks year two. Justin Herbert looked a lot more polished today in this win. Yeah, both Justin Herbert as well as uh, Brandon Staley were all smiles after this one, Tim. And, you, yeah, you brought up the, the, the whole thing. It does not apply in week one. It's more evident as we go into the season, and you've got these West Coast teams playing, what, two, sometimes three games you know, at home in a row. Uh, not usually three games, but you know what I'm trying to say. Usually they have they have extended stays at home, and then you make the trek to the East Coast where you have the early start. So that's more and more applies. But uh, you know Herbert and the Chargers they look great, especially on third down in in this football game. And uh, you know Herbert threw for over 335 yards, a touchdown. He overcame that fumble right in the end zone, and and also a red zone interception. And uh, their offense was just solid on third down. They went 14 of 19 on third down, which is key. Because obviously, if you're there, you know, uh, a Washington defense is esteemed as they're expected to be, right, over there in the nation's capital, you, you can't be giving up, you know, uh, all but five third down. you, you got to get off the field on third down. So that was a huge key. So Justin Herbert uh, continues to uh, put numbers up that are eye-opening. Look, he's the only, him and Pat Mahomes are the only players in league history with over 4,500 yards passing in their first 16 career starts, Tim. So that uh, leads us to believe that uh, this guy is the real deal. And when you lead scoring drives of 75 yards, 76 yards, and 68 yards, including that go-ahead touchdown pass to Mike Williams that uh, made up for his mistakes on consecutive possessions, it's going to be a good result. And that's exactly what it was for the Chargers as they took on the, uh, the Washington football team. Let's kind of peek ahead to week two. Chargers will open their home slate with the Dallas Cowboys, who, in a loss, Chris, it looked very good 
offensively against Tampa Bay Thursday night. So Dallas at the Chargers, and the Chargers a field goal favorite on the opening line. No doubt that's a fun matchup, right? Because I thought the Cowboys showed well on Thursday night, despite the fact they lost. We always say it all the time, right, Tim? There's no moral victories. You can't come out and, and be, you know, all ungodly positive after, after a tough loss like that. But that being said, we're all, you know, we're all observers. We all know what, you know, what, what it's all about when it comes to how these teams look and what they're expected to do. And the Cowboys, they have reason to be uh, pleased is, is, is a good word to use coming off that loss and knowing what they face as far as the NFC East is concerned. So uh, it's going to be fun to see that matchup between the Chargers and Cowboys coming up next week. I'm just going to kind of jump around here. So uh, no real rhyme or reason to my madness, but we're going to move back. You know, we were talking about L.A., so we might as well stay with L.A. The Sunday nighter tonight, the Rams, a very dominant 34-14 win over the Chicago Bears. In this one, Matt Stafford, his first appearance out of a Detroit Lions uniform, Chris, 321, three touchdowns. They just steamrolled the Bears in this one. And the Bears, uh, our, our our buddy Tommy Barton just, I, I believe after the first two drives, he was pulled pull Dalton, pulled Dalton, but that's not going to be the case in Chicago. There's a game plan for Matt Nagy, and whether it's right or wrong, uh, I, I wouldn't expect to see Justin Fields starting week two for the Bears. Chris, I think he's already said that's not the game plan. And I believe I misspoke earlier and said Josh Fields in, in the uh, earlier segment, not the White Sox, former White Sox Josh Fields. Justin Fields, the Bear quarterback, although he was impressive in his small amount of time in there. Nagy has a game plan, and that's the route they're going to go. But what about the Rams, the new-look Rams with, with your boy Matt Stafford in there? I was impressed, to say the least, Tim. I Look, I thought the Rams are going to be a solid football team this year and absolutely an NFC contender, but they were pretty electrifying tonight. And Matthew Stafford, his second pass, right? goes for 53 yards and it was you know it seemed like it was in the air forever drops into the hands of van jefferson he does a little like rolling move and then ends up you know getting back up and running into the end zone for a touchdown and then the rams were just off to the races after that chicago had some chances in this game but just made too way too many mistakes and andy dalton look andy dalton we know what he is right he's not a guy that's going to be out is he's not a guy that's going to go out there and you're going to say, oh, he's, he's one of the top 15 or 20 quarterbacks in the NFL. But he is an NFL quarterback, you know. And, you know, there, there were spots where the Bears were in this football game. And then, especially in the second half, you saw Stafford and some of his offensive weapons get more involved. Obviously, you saw Robert Woods, Cooper Cup get more involved. And the running game started to click a little bit more in the second half after Henderson wasn't really able to get much going in the first half. And you started to see all these pieces come together for the Rams. And it was kind of funny because, you know, you watch the broadcast and you had Al Michaels and you had Chris Collins were talking about the relationship, obviously, between uh, both Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford. You know, they're close to age and, they, you know, they're, they're, they're like two peas in a pod. And, all. and it's, and it's going to be kind of fascinating to kind of watch that whole dynamic between him and, you know, Sean McVay. And I'm talking about Matthew Stafford, obviously. But the Rams have bet their future on Stafford. Let's be straight about it. They, you know, they they gave up a lot to get him, and and they expect him to turn this team that was a good team into a great team and a Super Bowl team. And so we'll be able to sit back and kind of watch and see if the Rams are able to make that transition and able to do that. And I, it, look, it was 
it was uh, make no mistake about it. It was a great start tonight for them, and uh, just to see that uh, offense clicking, it is going to be very difficult to stop that team going forward. Yeah, it's just you know, look, the onus on Jared Goff, who is now your quarterback in Detroit, never been positive. I mean, even though the guy did <laughs> did get to a Super Bowl, right, Chris? Um, it was maybe it's just a change of scenery was good for both of these guys and when you look at Matt Stafford who statistically would put up great numbers for those Lions teams and just never make the playoffs you know he's going to be he's going to play play a playoff game this year there's no doubt about that right so I was kind of excited to see how that would play out and I'm with you on Dalton Dalton's Dalton's this is what they what they expected you know they're not going to just throw fields in there Dalton's going to be the guy to pass the torch along when when the Bears are ready to let fields get get acclimated to the NFL football. I think you may see it in maybe a little bit next week if they're, if they're down again, maybe maybe more so in week three. I think by the first quarter of the season, though, Fields will be your guy, and then that's the direction the Bears will go. So it, it's funny just to see Bear fans be upset about it, but they kind of had to expect this was going to happen, right, Chris? I mean, the line was nine. Yeah, no question about it. And to kind of expand a little bit on what you talked about with both Stafford and Dalton, with Stafford, you know, yeah, yeah, they they went to the playoffs with the Lions, but they never won a playoff game, and he did have a couple of pieces there, right? Obviously, Calvin Johnson is a Hall of Fame receiver, and there were there were some skill position players that they had in Detroit, from Golden Tate to you know to Javid Best, some of these other players that were that were good that he had, but he doesn't have what he has now in Los Angeles, right? He doesn't have guys who across the board, whether it's the tight ends to Higby to you know, to, to obviously the plethora of wide receivers and, uh, and, and the scheme, obviously led by Sean, you know, the, uh, the young coach and, and Sean McVay, who was, you know, is thought of as basically as like a coaching prodigy. prodigy. So he, he didn't have that stability in Detroit from a coaching standpoint. Uh, as far as Andy Dalton, Tim, he sees the writing on the wall, right? And we mm-hmm. even saw it tonight. I mean, it, it was kind of it's kind of hilarious for us on the outside to think about Bears fans when they see Justin Fields go out there and play a couple plays, and obviously he gets the touchdown where he runs into the end zone. You know, Tommy Barton and other Bears fans are thinking about this and saying, "Oh, you know, what what is there's so much we have so much to look forward to with Fields at the quarterback position." And, and Tommy was even indicating that to us. It's like Tommy wants to get him out there now. He's like, just bench Dalton now and get Fields out there in the field. It's, it's, uh, it is, it's kind of funny to kind of see that. And, yes, it's, uh, everybody immediately wants to do that. But that isn't necessarily how the Bears, and obviously, as you pointed out, Matt and Nagy are going to approach this. They're going to approach this in a way where they think it's sensible and when they think it's the right time to start Fields. And... I was on board with not starting him this game. I, I, look, you're going up against one of the best defenses in the country. Excuse me, one of the best defenses in the NFL. And I don't think it was a good spot to, you know, just throw your rookie quarterback into the fire again. So, and that's kind of the way that they've gone. Let's go to not New Orleans. This game was played in Jacksonville on the field of the Jaguars, actually, because of the the weather issues with the, the, the hurricane for the Saints. And uh, they didn't let this this movement of, of where the game would be played affect them at all. 38-13, destruction of the Green Bay Packers. Jameis Winston, five touchdown passes today for for the former Buck. And Aaron Rodgers, you know, maybe, Chris, 
when you sit out all year, you don't play in any exhibition games, you're worried about your contract and you're on jeopardy, this is what happens. Uh, he looked terrible today, but I'm not even going to blame him totally on that. I think the Green Bay Packer offensive line looked bad. Uh, just the team to look lost completely and a nice win for the Saints. And um, you look, we're no fans of Aaron Rodgers on this show. At least Tommy and I aren't. So I'm not going to say I was too bothered by this. And he talked about it after the game, Aaron Rodgers. And the, yeah, you, you think I'm like uh, some uh, guy that's going to stand and and just start uh, cheering for Aaron Rodgers? But <laughs> but the guy is but 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 he is a three-time MVP. So that 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 you know is just happens to be a fact. But he pointed out. He said he played terrible. The team played terrible. And then this has the feel of the Packers are just going to kind of turn the page on this mm-hmm. football game, and it's going to be more about the New Orleans Saints, right? We're going to talk about the Saints and talk about Jameis Winston, how, you know, he, he throws for, uh, he had a weird stat line too, right? He throws for like a, what was it, 148 yards and five touchdowns on yeah. 14 to 20. Yeah. So it was a little bit little bit strange. And the Saints rushed for uh, just over 170 yards in this one too. So you like, obviously, offensively, if you're, if you're a Saints fan, if you're the Saints, period, you'd like that Jameis Winston looks like he could be the answer this season, right? And it's not going to be at some Taysom Hill type of, uh, you know, we kind of uh, platooning quarterback type of deal uh, that that could be something that could be detrimental to the Saints. So uh, I think if you're uh, if you're New Orleans, you also like, you know, like DeMario Davis and that defense was also pretty impressive. They picked off Aaron Rodgers twice in this game. And, you know, the Saints, you know, kick off basically the post-Drew Brees era, right, Tim? It's the post-Drew Brees era, and they start it with a – Strikingly dominant, thirty-eight to three win over the Packers. But just to t- just to you uh, talked about uh, going into Week Two for the Los Angeles Chargers. Well, the Green Bay Packers coming off this loss. This maybe says how bad the Lions are, Tim. Eleven-point uh, favorites at home at Lambeau Field next Monday night against Detroit. So I think most NFL people and most people here in Vegas think that the Green Bay Packers might bounce back in week two time to get healthy in week two for the Packers you mentioned the Lions so this was a crazy one uh, 41-33 the Niners get the win but the score isn't really indicative of where where this game was sitting Chris with in in the fourth quarter I think the Niners are up three scores actually and the Lions come down get a touchdown get the onside kick get a touchdown recover a fumble, have the ball with an opportunity to tie this football game. It, it just doesn't happen, but it was an exciting ending of the football game. But it never should have been in this situation. And I think for somebody who didn't watch the game, you'd you think it's close, but it really wasn't. The Niners dominated this football game. It just got hairy at the end for them. Yeah, it was funny. Nick Bosa was ready to just kind of kick back and relax and, and maybe sit out the whole second half of this football game for San Francisco and the Lions made him go back to work. You had uh, you had Drew Greenlaw, or excuse me, Dre Greenlaw, return an interception for a touchdown. They gave the Niners, uh, you know, they scored 17 points over a two-plus minute stretch there late in the first half, and uh, yeah, and they built the lead. You said a two, they they were up by uh, 28 points mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter. It was an you know unrealistic expectation when the Niners led 38 to 10 as the fourth quarter was starting, that, that the Lions would even be in this football game. But uh, you had Dan Campbell's debut as a head coach for Detroit. They scored 23 points in three-plus minutes to pull within eight points in this football game. And, uh, of course, Detroit comes up short late 
as they turned the ball over on downs on the San Francisco 24 uh, after Debo Samuel coughs the ball up. The Lions got an onside kick in this game, and then they had the Samuel fumble, which could have been, the, you know, it could have clinched the game, basically. And so, look, if you look at this football game, for most of the afternoon, the, the Niners were pretty much dominant. It was uh, kind of a back and forth for the first quarter, or first quarter of this game. Both teams, t- you know, getting into field goal range and then taking themselves out with either penalties or just sacks or bad plays or whatever. And then, you know, the Niners got themselves a foothold and were able to win the football game. So uh, this doesn't really change any of my perception regarding the Lions this season. They're still going to be probably close to the cellar of the NFL, if not in the cellar. I think maybe a team, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of ironic saying this, but, the, you know, a team that played well today, the, the Houston Texans are probably going to be the worst team. But the Lions are going to be right there competing with them. And and uh, even even though Jared Goff went out there and, and basically played half decent. He threw for over 300 yards, a few touchdowns, and was pretty efficient. It was just, it's, it's not even on Jared Goff. It's just a matter of the personnel just not there. And, uh, and it's a Lions team that uh, was just overmatched, and that showed with the final score. Year two for Jalen Hurts, off to a good start. 264, three touchdowns through the air as the Eagles blasted Atlanta on the road, 32-6 to to open up the football season. He looked good today, Chris, and, you know, maybe they knew what they were doing by by moving Wentz out of there and leaving the door open here for Jalen Hurts on the other side of Atlanta. A lot of problems. And Matt Ryan is aging quarterback, but I spent a lot of time watching this game today. Again, I think we're going to see a lot of offensive line issues with many of these teams. There was no protection for Matt Ryan as he never got an opportunity to really set and throw, and that was very indicative by the final score. It's just a blowout here in Atlanta. Yeah, another new era started right too, right with the Jalen Hurts era there in Philadelphia, and uh, it, it, and not a whole lot of positivity if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan. It was it Jalen Hurts. You mentioned the three touchdown passes, including one to Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith there to get his first NFL touchdown. And uh, the Eagles, look, uh, Nick Sirianni, which uh, a, a lot of uh, if you, if you're not a hardcore NFL fan, you might not even know who he is, being the head coach of the. Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, he wins his head coaching debut. You got Hurts, you know, obviously I mentioned the, the touchdown pass to Smith. He also hit Dallas Goddard as well as uh, Jalen Rieger with touchdown passes as well, too. And and uh, and he also had uh, Kenneth Gainwell, who's you know, scored his first TD as a pro uh, late in the third quarter, too. So it's uh, a Falcons team that just, I mean, let's be straight up about it, Tim. They look downright awful and inept. And it's the first game under your head coach, Arthur Smith. You know, they settled for field goals on two uh, two decent drives, right? And then they had settling for field goals. And then they just didn't do much the rest of the way. The Falcons never advanced past the Eagles' 49-yard line and finished with just 260 yards on the game. So Matt Ryan, I mean, I don't know what this means. He's held to 164 yards passing, was sacked three times. Uh, it, it, this is a guy who's a former MVP. Those aren't numbers you expect out of the likes of someone like Matt Ryan. So it could be a long season for the people down there in the dirty south with the Falcons. How about the, the rookie or the uh, debut performance of Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars? Beaten handily by the Texans today. You said it. Houston looked good, 37-21. But Lawrence looked a lot better in the second half, Chris, as he finished with 330 yards, three touchdowns. 
It's going to be. It's going. This is what we're looking at in rebuilding the NFL, right? You give yourself about a three-year window to to make the pieces work, and Urban Meyer is going to have to learn as well on the on the job here. So, did I expect them? And, and Tommy was all over the Jags, you know, honestly, in this game. I expected them to win as well. I didn't think they would get blown out like they did. But I did see a lot of good things from Jacksonville in the second half, Chris. And the, the connection between Lawrence and DJ Chark looks like something we can be looking forward to for a few years here. Yeah, I was actually fortunate on this one because I did have the Texans on the money line. I, did, I didn't think when, you, you know, first-year first head coach, first-year quarterback going up, you know, on the road. Yes, it's the Texans. I get it. Okay, but and you talked about Trevor Lawrence. Look, it was kind of a it was back and forth for Trevor. I mean, he was, you know, he threw. Uh, you mentioned he throws for over three thirty, uh, three touchdowns, but he also had three picks too. And he often was, if you watch some of this game, he often was overthrowing wide open receivers and and. Uh, but at the same time, he also there was a lot of guys that were dropping balls for him too. So it was kind of a, a rough go of it for, for Trevor Lawrence, but. This guy's going to be a franchise guy. He's going to be a big-time quarterback in this league. And uh, I, I, would, I would tend to lean towards this is more uh, a positive thing for the Houston Texans as opposed to a negative thing for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, the Texans, they built that 14-point lead and uh, in, in this football game. And uh, you got uh, the Justin Reed interception uh, there in, in, the second, in the second quarter. That was big for them, too. And uh, look, this is a Houston team that's another team that's also in transition too. So uh, they were able to get uh, uh, offensively, they were able to get uh, some things going for th- for themselves, both through the air and on the ground. So um, it was probably one of the few wins, to be quite honest with you, that the Texans had. But it was legitimate, and uh, they did it against a team that is uh, just basically, you know, getting things started when it comes to the NFL. When you're talking about Trevor Lawrence and obviously their head coach. We'll talk about one more, and we'll take our final timeout. This was one of my favorite games of the afternoon, and it wasn't the Mahomes-Mayfield matchup. It was actually the debut of Mac Jones and the Pats at home against the Dolphins, a a close football game that Miami did win 17-16 to a solid when it needed to be. And also, again, we're going to talk about it again, Chris, a second-year quarterback who looked good today, and Mac Jones looked great for his debut. You know, this was just, it was low scoring, but I thought it was a good all-around football game. Miami gets a a close win, and you have to be happy. If you're Belichick, you have to be happy with what Mac Jones did today. No question. And he was efficient, and he looks like he could be the guy. He could be the real deal, and it was was an entertaining game, to say the least. I had a chance to catch this game. I was out at a local watering hole with both a Patriots fan and a Dolphins fan, Tim. And when you know Tua threw that go-ahead touchdown pass to Jalen Waddle there in the third quarter, and then you had Howard recovered that uh, Damian Harris fumble, you know, with New England driving in the fourth quarter, it uh, it was uh, it, look Xavier Howard's a guy. He's one of the NFL's best players when it comes to causing turnovers, especially last year. And of course, he was back at it again today to help the Dolphins preserve that win. It was not uh, it, look. It was. I'm a huge Jalen Waddle fan. I think Jalen Waddle, much like I talk about Henry Ruggs III, I think Jalen Waddle, obviously, you know, he's playing with his former college teammate there in Tua in Miami. This is a, this could be a electric combination to say the least. And you tag and Tua had a solid game. He threw for 200 yards and was efficient. He had a touchdown. He did have a pick, but he also had that three-yard TD run, and he leads kind of a revamped offense there in Miami. 
that kept this Patriots rebuilt defense kind of guessing all day long. And, uh, you know, Devontae Parker had a solid game. He had four, I think, had four catches for 81 yards, something like that. And the offense had its moments. So I think this is, uh, th- is going to be fun, too, to kind of see this division, how it shakes out. I don't think Buffalo is that clear-cut team that's going to just boat race all the rest of the teams in this division. I think they can make it competitive when talking about teams like the Dolphins and the Patriots. Let's take our final timeout, Mateo. When we come back, we'll run through the rest of week one of the National Football League and get you ready, get you out of here as week one will end tomorrow night right here in Las Vegas, the Raiders and the Ravens. We'll wrap it all up on the other side of the timeout. E-Web Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Final segment, Heat Wave Sports, Super Sunday Night. It's Tim Unglesby and Chris Wynn. And we're wrapping up week one of the NFL. Back at it next Saturday with, of course, the Tim and Tom connection as we will talk not only UNLV football with their home game against Iowa State, but we'll get you ready for week two of the National Football League and break down all those games for you. Chris, I'm going to run through a couple games real quick and then get to the ones spend a little extra time on. So... If one of these is your team, I apologize. I, I promise I'll make up for it somewhere else during the season. The Carolina Panthers with new quarterback Sam Darnold knock off the Jets and the rookie debut of Zach Wilson, 19-14. Christian McCaffrey, 98 yards on the ground, 89 receiving for the Panthers in their win. Seattle behind Russell Wilson's four touchdown passes, 250 yards passing, 28-16 over the Colts. And... The Broncos, they head to New York, and Teddy Bridgewater, maybe he's found a a permanent home, two touchdowns, 264 through the air. Melvin Gordon, 100 yards on the ground as well, and the Broncos knock off the Giants 27-13. But, Chris, all eyes were on the uh, featured game in the afternoon, a playoff rematch, the Browns, the Chiefs, and and they got We got everything we wanted in this game, right, Chris? 33-29, Kansas City come from behind win here as they open the season with the win, the defending AFC champions. And for me, it wasn't so much that, look, Patrick Mahomes put up the big stats. We knew he was going to do that. We knew Tyree Hill was going to have a big game. I knew in my heart, I knew Baker Mayfield was going to come to play, but this was something that I brought up last night in that when we talk about this progression and what Baker Mayfield has not been successful in doing is beating the Patrick Mahomes of the world, and he still hasn't done it. And he's, it, today, very last play, right, Chris? He panicked, threw an, off, uh, an ill-advised pass, cost him the football game here. And it seems to me that Mayfield is very comfortable with a lead or when they're down big. But when it's a tight situation, historically so far in his three years in the NFL, he just hasn't been able to win, quote-unquote, the big game. So I'm not going out on a limb, right, Tim, and saying that Kansas City has Cleveland's number as of late. When you take right. a look at the fact that they have beaten the Browns five straight games, including that 22-17 playoff win back in January. And when the, clo- when the clock turns September, Tim, this Chiefs team wins every football game. They've won their 15th consecutive game in the month of September and also pushed Andy Reid, by the way, within one win of reaching 100 with the two franchises that he's coached. So, 
Look, Pat Mahomes, we know what Pat Mahomes is. He's one of the best, if not the best, quarterback in the NFL, but he had plenty of help, Tim. Okay? You got Tyreek Hill, who had that spectacular long touchdown. He also finished with 11 catches for almost 200 yards and that momentum-shifting touchdown. You had Travis Kelsey with a pair of touchdown catches, including the go-ahead one with 7.02 left in the game. As for the Browns, look, I mean, this is a Cleveland team that looked, they looked really good starting this game off, right? You started to see why the Browns, why myself, C. Wynn, put a, I sprinkled a little bit of coin, Tim, on the Cleveland Browns at 16-1 to to win the Super Bowl. But when it comes to uh, season openers, since they, since returning to Cleveland back in 1999, they fell to 1-21-1. and in season openers, extending their NFL mark to 17 consecutive losses. They haven't won an opener on the road since the 1994 season, Tim. We were much younger back then, okay? But make, but make no mistake, the Browns are a really good football team. We know with Nick Chubb and obviously, you know, that the combination they have at the running back position is solid. Obviously, Beckham coming back is going to be key. You've got Jarvis Landry and, jo- and Joku, the tight end. And obviously Baker, they're going to be they're going to be a solid football team. But Kansas City just put on a show, and this, you know you, you mentioned Mahomes with a three thirty seven and three touchdowns while running for a score, also making fantasy owners that have him very happy across the board. And it's you know you know and it's a Kansas City defense that you know could make plays when it mattered down the stretch, and they did. And you mentioned, of course, with the you know with the Mayfield miscue. This is a Kansas City team that is uh, right back where they started. And, oh, by the way, with a chip on their shoulder because they got knocked off of the Super Bowl just uh, a mere months ago. Yep. I said it last night because we were off, or I wasn't on the show when you guys talked um, the NFL. And Tommy and I gave our predictions. And, and it's, not, it's not like I, I stumbled upon some, some hidden wisdom, Chris. I said, look, I have Kansas City winning the Super Bowl. I have Kansas City MVP going to Pat. I have Mahomes winning the MVP. It's all things that we can expect, right? Kansas City is in this. We talked about a window, right? We talked about a window in hour one. They're still in this window. They're in the Golden State Warrior window. That's what I call it, Chris. And it's a small window, but they have every right and every chance to win two or three Super Bowls here in the next three or four years, five years, right? I think it's very possible. They already have one. They got to one last year. It's their turn again. And, and I think this is Look, we could be watching this matchup again come January in the playoffs because it's not like Cleveland uh, has nothing to shake their, you know, put their head down about. They played a great football game. It just got beat by uh, a team that's used to coming from behind like that. And, and when you get Mahomes on a roll, Chris, we've seen it. It's hard. He's, he can't be stopped. That's the problem. He's very hard to stop. And let's wrap it up. I mean, this, this game, as far as this game, it was a, it was a rematch of a physical, you know, defensive-minded playoff game that took place between these two teams back there, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, Kansas City, you know, clinched it when, when Chad Henney threw that, you know, that, f- that fourth down pass to Hill, you know, for that first down with just over a minute to go. It just seems to me, that, I mean, Kansas City continuously comes up with these moments, right, Tim, where they just make the play when they have to have it. And look, yes, you mentioned that it, it is a great analogy talking about the Golden State Warriors, but what's fascinating about this, Tim, is they're not the defending Super Bowl champions, right? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are, but we still, in our minds, right, as NFL fans, 
we still think about the Kansas City Chiefs as being the cream of the crop, right? Regardless of Tampa Bay being the Super Bowl champions, regardless of whether it's other teams like the Rams or even the Ravens or some of these other teams across the board, it we still, you know, we still think of the Chiefs as that team to beat, much like we think of we thought of, you know, for that four or five year period, the Golden State Warriors were the top of the top of the mountain when it came to the NBA. That's still our viewpoint and our perception when it comes to the Chiefs in the National Football League. When you look at the grand scheme of the, the AFC, right, and you see we're talking about a week one game, and, and what's the relevance? Well, this is a big win for Kansas City because if they do play in the playoffs, Chris, more than likely, and if there were a tiebreaker situation, which I don't see it happening, but if it were to be, Kansas City would get that home game against Cleveland again. So it was it was a big loss for Cleveland in that aspect that they probably cost themselves a, a home playoff game against Kansas City with this loss. Well, and the obvious notion too is the mental aspect, right? It's the you have a you know that you can beat this team when you're you know when your back's up against the wall and it's a key spot. You know that you can perform and you can come out with a positive result, you know, which has been the case with this Kansas City Chiefs team. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say, obviously, well, it, you know, obviously, you know, if the Chiefs are playing at home, regardless if it's the Browns or anybody else in the AFC, they're going to be a team that's going to be expected to win. But it is great, you know, even though it is game one of the season, and you don't want to get just too crazy about it and go over the top as far as predictions or analysis or you know or all things thrown into one at the same time though you do want to look at it from a standpoint of we have a mental edge on you we think we have what it takes to beat you and we know how to get the result that we want that we desire and that's coming out with the w all right next week kc home sunday night football they get the ravens excuse me on the road at baltimore for Sunday Night Football as they get the Ravens coming off that Monday night game. Early line is KC minus the two and a half. I know my team, Chris, and a lot depends on what happens tomorrow night. So initially you would like say, hey, I can get KC less than a field goal. I like it. I want to see what happens tomorrow night before I make my decision because if Baltimore loses to the Raiders at Allegiant Stadium, that could shift, in my opinion, how this game will go next Sunday night. No question about it, and you do want to get a look at the Ravens here this season, right? We haven't seen them yet, so it's really tough to make kind of a determination as to what's going to transpire next week against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. Also, the fact the Chiefs played at home, right? They played at Arrowhead this week, and we don't know how this team's going to react going on the road for the second game of the season. The, we're, we're, I mean, we're in the infancy of this season, and we don't know exactly how they're going to respond going into the environment that they're going to have to play in on a Sunday night in Baltimore. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of things that still need to be determined, in my opinion, before I start, you know, trying to make some, some type of determination regarding this game and this matchup between the Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Cleveland with a chance to bounce back. They get Houston at home. So this line opened 13, and already tonight we've seen movement down to 12 and a half and 12. So people like a little Houston money here, but uh, I think what you saw with Houston today might be an aberration, and Cleveland 
for three quarters, right, Chris? <laughs> Defense was rock solid. Offense was clicking. I think Cleveland might have a little fun at Houston's expense next week. Although laying double digits in the NFL, you know how that works. It's, it's tough. Well, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, right, to figure out why that light line might be moving a little bit towards the Texans, given, you know, all of us NFL fans, we kind of just want to react immediately to what mm-hmm. has happened just in the last 12 hours or so. So, but, you know, you understand, Tim, and, and as do I, that this is a Cleveland team that has Nick Chubb, who ran for a couple of touchdowns and 83 yards. You love Kareem Hunt. You love Jarvis Landry. They also had TD runs for the Browns as well, too. And Baker Mayfield is going to and, – and you think you think some other teams that lost this week are going to be upset? How about the Cleveland Browns when they go home for their home opener in front of what's probably going to be a sold-out stadium there in Cleveland and you're playing against the likes of the Houston Texans? I expect a big performance out of the Browns coming up in Week 2. We've got one more to go through uh, quickly, though the – Fun one in, in Cincinnati. The Bengals win in overtime 27-24 over Minnesota. Mix in a good day on the ground. And Burrow and Chase connect like the old college days for a score in the Bengal win. But we saved this one for last, Chris. It was Pittsburgh heading into Buffalo to take on the Bills. I called it last night. I said, Tom, I think Pittsburgh is kind of a live dog here. Nobody's really talking about them. And if they can keep it close, they'll find a way to win. That's exactly what happened in this game as the defense for the Steelers just keeps Buffalo at bay and a special teams touchdown basically turned the tide of this football game. The Steelers go into Orchard Park. They get a 23-16 win with an outstanding fourth quarter. And, you know, people were down on the Steelers. I don't know if they were so much down on the Steelers as they were on since uh, Cleveland and Baltimore, but the Steelers, a big win to open the season. Yeah, that Minnesota-Cincinnati game, obviously the Vikings, they're going to be one of those teams that's going to be an also-ran. They're just going to kind of be there, I think, in the NFC. They're not terrible, the Vikings, but they're also not a team, in my opinion, that's going to be contending for any playoff uh, implications whatsoever. And this is a team that overcame a sloppy start, right? They, they had a choppy start, and they ended up storming back and tying the game. You know, with, uh, with, the, with uh, you know, and, and then, of course, uh, they were down 21-7, I believe, in the second half. You know, despite the fact that the Vikings couldn't get out of their own way when it came to penalties, they had 12 penalties for 116 yards, and including three false starts in their opening drive, and four penalties in their first eight plays. So that's stuff they got to clean up. We know that Dalvin Cook has talent. We know he's going to be fine, despite the fact that his fumble was recovered by Jermaine Pratt to set up the game-winning score for the Bengals. But. Uh, this was more, uh, I think it's uh, more reason why Bengal fans are pumped. And it's not just because they have Joe Burrow, okay, as their fan, but they also have this kid who is also an LSU guy who had a monster first game in the NFL. Obviously, I'm talking about Jamar Chase. He had an outstanding game for the Bengals. And uh, it's gonna be, this is going to be a fun combo to watch him in Cincinnati for, uh, for a few years here going on because uh, both those guys are extremely talented. You're talking about the Steelers, obviously, in the Bills game. Uh, I was absolutely wrong in this one. I was all over Buffalo in this tilt. I thought the Bills were going to be just fine. And, look, it was one of those games where the Bills looked like they were, you know, yeah, yeah, it was a close game for most of the game, but it looked Buffalo, to me, 
was just, uh, I, I thought, was clearing away the better football team. Defensively, they were holding their run. Najee Harris just couldn't do anything, it seemed like, for the first almost three-quarters of this football game. And then, you know, the Pittsburgh defense stepped up. And you have, you have Watt, who has two sacks and a forced fumble in his first game after signing that huge four-year, $112 million contract that makes him the highest-paid defensive player in the league, and he showed it. And the defense just kept Josh Allen and his passing attack in check. And they stopped Buffalo on fourth down in each of its first two possessions there in the second half. And that was absolutely key as Pittsburgh was able to come out with a W and just, you know, infuriate the Bills Mafia fans as they were rolling out of that stadium. So, uh, you know, they get they cut Buffalo's lead to 10-6, went on a pair of couple of Boswell field goals there. And then Roethlisberger has that uh, touchdown pass to, to Johnson in the left corner of the end zone. So Steelers, uh, look, I mean, Steelers, people, I think people kind of sleep on the Steelers, and I, and I get it. Right, Tim? I mean, I, I mean, I get it. With all these other teams, whether it's the Bills, obviously the Chiefs, and the Ravens in the AFC, and nobody really wants to talk about, you know, geriatric Ben Roethlisberger and, and you know, Juju Smith-Schuster and, and Najee Harris and that, you know, and the Watt-led defense of this Pittsburgh Steeler team. Simple formula historically against the Steelers. When you get in the red zone, Chris, you got to put the touchdowns up because the field goals end up biting you in the ass, and that's exactly what happened. Is You're right. Buffalo dominated this game, but they let Pittsburgh hang around because they those field goals, look, they settled for three field goals, right? You, you have to score against Pittsburgh to win games because there's always something. It just seems to be always something happens, and that's what happened today. And already, if we want to look ahead for Pittsburgh, Chris, because the tie-in here is that Vegas is is their week two opponent at home in Heinz Field. Game open five and a half. The Raiders haven't even played yet. This game's already up to six. Well, again, initial reaction of positivity coming from the Steelers win at Buffalo, which is one of the. I mean, look. They, I mean, the the Bills had what the second highest scoring offense a year ago, and they ended which is one touchdown against the Steeler defense. So even though the Raiders haven't played a game yet, you still have to ask the question, right, Tim? You have to ask, can the Raiders' offense, what, what are they going to do if Pittsburgh can do what they did to that Bills, Bills offense? What are the Steelers going to do playing at home in their first game of the season against the likes of the Raiders? So it's, a, it's an absolute, in my opinion, it's an absolutely justifiable move when it comes to that line with the Raiders and the Steelers next week. But I mean, look, when it comes to the Bills, the Bills offensively got to be better. You can't have an offense as prolific as it was a year ago, settle for three field goals, as you pointed out. And, you know, despite the fact that, by the way, they crossed midfield, I think, eight out of their 11 possessions. So you get yourself in position. You're still not able to score touchdowns. That's something they have to clean up. And if Buffalo is able to do that, then I think they'll be just fine. Chris, always a pleasure having you on the show. I wanted to leave a couple of extra minutes just to let everybody know what's going on with you. I can't say where you're going to be tomorrow, but you're going to be on a sh- you're going to be hosting a show tomorrow down the dial. So I, I, you know, everybody's looking forward to that. I guess they could just find you on social media to hear about all the details. Always great, Tim and and Tommy and to the crew being a part of the the Heatwave Sports team, and. Uh, it's it's tremendous. Always a pleasure on the weekends to get a chance to talk sports with you guys. But yeah, I am, I'm uh, someone who's kind of a Swiss Army knife, right, Tim? I'm all over the place when it comes to 
sports radio here in Las Vegas. I always have been. You can find me on social media at Christian Wynn on Twitter and also on Facebook at Christian W. Wynn. Always get into some spirited debates with yourself and Tommy and, and everybody else here in town. A lot of the other media members here in town across the board. You can find me also on Instagram at CWIN77 as well, too. So I post a lot of my uh, pictures there. A lot of my gambling stuff, Tim, right? A lot of, because yeah. I'm not afraid to be out and about on the town partaking in some, not only am I, you know, playing my sports parlays, Tim, but I got my, you know, caveman Kino fix as well as uh, my video poker as well, too. Well, Chris, enjoy the game tomorrow night and enjoy week one as it closes here in Las Vegas. And uh, we look forward to having you on again very, very soon, my friend. Have a great week, Tim, all right? Chris Wynn, Christian Wynn over on Twitter. He'll be on the radio airwaves tomorrow afternoon. Check out his social media to find out where that'll be. Make sure you give him a listen. Chris, well, well knowledge about the world of sports, especially here on the local level. As I know, he's going to talk some Raider football tomorrow afternoon. For Mateo, for Chris Wynn, for Tommy Barton, I'm Tim Unglesby. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. The first real NFL football game to be played in the city of Las Vegas. So make sure you enjoy that and take it in. And all the festivities. We will be back Saturday night at 10 o'clock right here on Fox Sports Radio as we get you ready for week two of the NFL. With that being said, it's always a pleasure, Las Vegas. We appreciate you listening in, and we'll talk to you next week. For all the guys, I'm Tim Ungles. We have a great sports week. Heatwave Sports, only on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. That's 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Good night.